When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's a phrase in Farsi which says, someone who is asleep can be woken up, but someone who pretends to be asleep can never be woken. And that's where we find ourselves now in the modern day, because we have the most access to information than we ever have in the history. And yet people would prefer to ignore the facts and just base things on their opinions. And it's unfortunate because the truth is right there. And at this point, we're just simply pretending to be asleep. My name is Teron Von Gossry, and I'm a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is a show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. On today's show, we're talking to Teran Van Gasseri, comedian, actor, TV, radio, podcast host, and activist. Teran is many things. He's half Iranian, he's half black, half nerdy, and half amazing, and I guess I'm bad at math. But look, as a comic, Teran is a mix of Chappelle, Colbert, and Maz Jobrani, which is actually how we met. Teran's got roots in DC and LA. He's a Laugh Factory favorite. He's been seen on Netflix, Fox, Bravo, Pivot, Comedy Central, the Kennedy Center, and a sold-out comedy show near you. You know, there's a saying, good comics make you laugh, great comics make you think, and Teran is no exception to that. Also, a quick note, Sharon is out and about making the world safe for her little kid's choir practice, so we actually decided to keep our chat with Teran and let me fly solo. So fair warning, you'll definitely hear me and Teran nerd out and go down many, many tangents and rabbit holes, all of which I think are pretty interesting, but we'll let you be the judge of that. So we hope you enjoy our chat with our new friend, Teran. Teran, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. So, Teran, you are... uh... (laughs) definitively famous says it all the left famous slash infamous and i usually use the word infamous incorrectly on the spot but i I think infamous works for you too in a good way it's better than famous i'd rather be infamous than famous any given day oh yeah it's it's much cooler but i gotta ask do you ever get the question where are you from actually most people don't ask me where i'm from especially if i'm in the states because i'm very black passing i'm half black Mm -hmm. i'm black passing most people never ask. So let me reverse the time. question. You land in a Gulf state. <laughs> Choose your Gulf state. And you roll in and you start speaking in Farsi. And they say, where are you from? <laughs> Farsi, conversational Arabic. Here's the thing. Anytime I leave the States, I think I'm very American presenting. I'm very American <laughs> presenting. I'm American acting. I'm American scene. And so then yeah. they ask me if where I'm from. But once again, even in the Gulf states, if you actually look at me, a lot yeah. of people in the Middle East, they they're like, oh, he's from the, Yemen. Exactly. I'm a I'm a I'm a Mizrahi or Sephardic or I'm some type of darker Arab Middle Eastern presenting person. So my greatest strength and my biggest weakness are the same things. I fit in everywhere, and I simultaneously fit in nowhere at all. You're the future. (laughs) I am. I am the future. And it's interesting to me when people present that because, well, just for the audience that doesn't know me, my name is Tehran, like the capital of Iran. I'm half black, half Iranian. My father is Iranian. My mother is black. People always ask that. It's the biggest question. Like, And they always go, which one's Iranian? And I say my father. And they're always shocked because the assumption is always my mother's Iranian because Hmm. there's this 
predicated the whole Vietnam thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, there's this predicated premise that the black guy sleeps with the the Persian woman, right? And, and it's mm-hmm. actually their nicest way of saying we think your mom's a whore. Like they're actually saying Ooh. that without actually saying it. They don't realize yeah. that it's subversive, and that's what they're actually detailing yeah. because that's the concept. Is there's this underlying racist tone to women who sleep with black men. There's this mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm, this racist mm-hmm. tone. And that racist tone can be black men have big penises all the way to I can't believe a woman slept with a black man. It brings her value down. There's both. Both sides of that coin. And a lot of people don't talk about that. It's something I wish more people talked about it. Because by saying black men have huge penises, sure, it sounds cool and it sounds fun and it sounds endearing but the truth is you're minimizing them Mm -hmm. to their body Mm -hmm. parts because i'd Mm -hmm. rather be known for having a big brain yeah so going to the point of myself as a person who's mixed i fit in everywhere except in rooms full of white people i fit in everywhere (laughs) and i also fit in nowhere meaning because i'm mixed people don't know what to do with me they love to put things in boxes it's easiest to do so you're a Muslim and Muslims do this. You're Jewish and Jewish people do this. You're black, you're white, you're brown. Brown people act like this. Black people act yeah, like this. Yeah. Whatever boxes they like to put you in, that's what they love. And boxes are actually meant for things and not people. And so when mm-hmm. people say that I'm the future, and that's their nice way of saying, well, in the future, everyone's going to be mixed. Everyone's just going to be beige. There won't be racism because everyone's beige. I look Bullshit. At them- Exactly. I actually expressed that actually that's not racism. That just means there won't be race. The truth is there'll still be racism because the part of racial equality and harmony isn't that there is no race. It's that there are many different races, many different groups of people, many different colors of, of skin tone, ethnicities, cultures, and we still all respect one another equally. I don't even ask for people to love each other because love, that's a lot. I'm emotionally unavailable. I'm not going to love anybody. However, just simply don't hate someone for what they are. Never hate someone for what they are. Talk to them for five minutes. Get to know them. And trust me, you will hate them for who they are within five minutes. You will hate them. It's the lizard brain is what philosophically what separates man from the animals well we choose to do things we fight our instincts but the lizard brain the instinct is don't hey, forget the opposable thumb don't forget oh, the that, opposable thumb. that as well oh, that as well we're screwed if dolphins ever have opposable <laughs> thumbs uh but, i mean india they're all brown there but we got the caste system like <laughs> that is like some first class racism <laughs> if i'm being honest and so we'll find a way to separate our differences and it's funny the, the thing you just said it's like seinfeld actually talks about he doesn't understand racism. Why hate people for being in groups of people? Hate them for the individual things that they do. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I want to, and the, actually, the reason I said the future was more about like my co-host Sharon. She's Chinese American, married to a black guy, so her two boys are black passing. My sister married a black guy. Her kids are black passing. I am Indian, married to a Chinese American woman. We don't know what my. Do- I joke that my daughter's like RoboCop. She's like half Chinese, half American. All weirdo so like i the future is yeah i don't think we're all going to be tan but i mean even like white people in this country it's there's oh i'm a quarter irish my mom was jewish or this percentage russian we're all mixing here in this country it's just color has finally come in whether it's maybe our parents or just could get ahead of it faster than a lot of people could sure we are mixing and Also, when you said white people are like, I'm a quarter Irish, one-fourth Polish, this and that, that's why 23andMe is the worst thing to ever give a white person. Uh, (laughs) Let them find out they're they're 1% Zimbabwean. They'll be like, I can say the N-word. I'm 1%. (laughs) So never give a white person 23 Never mind. They have no understanding of statistical failing. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and also, shout out to all the white people that understand we don't mean them when we say white people. Because oftentimes we use this term white people, and there are people who we're not talking to are the first ones on the battle lines. Well, I'm not like that. Well, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. You, my Bosnian friend, aren't the person I'm referring to when I'm referring to X, Y, and Z. I am talking about the idea of the white ethnicity that exists within especially mainstream United States, then furthering out to the Western world. But basically, 
with 350 million people. We're talking about the United States, right? Where at any given time, while people think there's so many black people and so many brown people, we have maybe 40 million black people, 50 million brown people, right? Give or take, if you add on everyone else, maybe 80 million brown people. And then the rest of the United States is really just white. And I'm mm-hmm. at 20 million are Asian, this and that. Sure. The rest of the United States at any given time, 200 to 250 million Americans are simply white. And that's, mm-hmm. and we're not even talking about all of them. We're talking about <laughs> a specific group of them. So stop in a it. Ba- in a ba- yeah. Stop it. Please understand what we mean when we say it. Thank you. <laughs> hey, man, some of my best friends are white. <laughs> hey, aren't all of ours. We have no choice because that's what's been presented to us for the last hundred years. Even growing up, experiencing my life through the eyes of white people in movies, thinking about anyone from your romantic lead of Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic to your action hero of Arnold Schwarzenegger or Tom Cruise. We've all seen ourselves and lived vicariously through a white person at some point in our lives. It's interesting. The representation argument I like it, right? It's like, oh, okay, my black nephew saw Into the Spider-Verse and saw a black Spider-Man. That's great. Cool. We saw Shang-Chi. That's great. But why those things are just as important for me is I need the white kid to see the black lead as the hero. I need the boy to see the girl as the lead or the straight person to see the gay person as the lead. Like, the representation goes both ways, I think. Not only do I agree with that assessment, I actually give it even more credit than what you might be insinuating. A lot of people, for example, credit Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights to the advent of President Barack Obama. I say it had way more to do with the Cosby Show Mm pre-allegations and Fresh Prince Mm -hmm. of Mm Bel-Air. I think that being acclimated to a The normalization and the comfort with the culture. Exactly. Uncle Phil became president of the United States, and everyone understood why. And everyone understood why. That had a lot to do with it. And when it comes to representation, representation played a huge part in my life personally. And my life personally, now that I'm a comedian, for those who don't know, I'm a professional comedian. I'm a touring comedian. I'm an international comedian. I've been on HBO, Comedy Central, Netflix, you name it. I've I'm done it and I'm doing so much more. If you don't know my name now, you will not only from this podcast, but inevitably in the future. That and also, exactly, my my name is all over every article of clothing I'm wearing, but also is the capital of Iran. But more importantly, yeah. you will know the name Tehran because of the things that I am bound to do in the future. However, famously or infamously, yes, I wasn't. I wasn't always a comedian. I right. you were a lawyer. I I have a law degree. I okay. went, right, I have sorry. a double undergrad degree in international politics and communications, a master's in economics, and a law degree. And so as I was choosing what I was going to do with my future, as I was at this crossroads of who I was going to be, and this was me at the age of 22 or 23. This wasn't me at 8 or 10 or 12, 14, 16, 18. I was a grown man at this point. As I'm thinking this, I turn on the television and I'm watching Fuse Network which is basically Canadian MTV at the time. I don't even know why I had this channel. I was very enamored by this channel. I'm watching Fuse Network, and there was a comedian named Mikey Winfield, basically a nice caramel skin-colored black man with a big fro and an amazing smile who would do comedy, tell some jokes, and then get into videos. And I literally saw him, someone who looked like me, and I thought to myself, wow, if this guy can do this, I can do this too. And that is when I changed my mind and decided to become a comedian, something I didn't even realize a subconscious love for, but this was what made it an overt love. And watching someone who looked like me is what changed my path in life at the age of 22, 23. So I can only imagine, I can only imagine how much more exponentially important it is for a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old to see themselves on television or being portrayed in the media as something more. And a perfect example of this is President Obama. And never mind the politics. I do not care about the politics. Right wing, left wing, same bird. I'm simply expressing the idea of a president who was black enough because also half white, but a president half white, right? who was black about- enough. Exactly. We never talk about the white side. A president who was black enough for 
now we see record numbers of African-Americans and people of color entering the political arena, something that had never happened before. Why? Because they saw someone who looked like them do something they now thought- It's a Jackie Robinson moment, right? Exactly. And a lot of people do not understand or comprehend this. They don't actually understand how much of a lack we've had of that. I got to ask, age of 22, you see this on TV- you decide to pivot your career and your studies into comedy. What, what do mom and dad say when you bring that home? To be very honest, coming from a black Persian father and an educated black mother, I was actually expecting a lot more resistance. I was expecting <laughs> a lot more resistance. Asian dad and me, like uh, the trauma was coming. I was like, well, were, what's about to happen here? And I'll tell you, I would love to have a lot of those stories of what are you doing? What are you thinking? Of course, there was the notion that you should have a backup plan and just the concept of the financial mm-hmm. ramifications mm-hmm. of this. However, as I expressed to any of my peers and anyone who ever asked me, success is the best form of I told you so. It's that simple. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Success is the biggest I told you so. So as you grow in success and you do things like perform at the Kennedy Center and have the opportunities to do so, which thankfully to my mentor and brother, Maz Jabrani, I've had, when you get to perform in huge venues with mentors and brothers like Max Mm -hmm. Amini, and they see the success and growth, and then you start selling out your own shows time and time again they get even more on board. And my parents are extremely supportive. They've also been very comforted with my ability to make personal life decisions since I was basically a teenager. So they've learned two things that first of all, I'll do or make pretty decent or good decisions. Second of all, that I'm going to do whatever I want to do regardless. So you either get on board or you fall off board. It's up to you. Well, there's a couple of words that you've adopted, and I don't want to say your persona, but your actual brand is you're known for being very shetun, mischievous, right? But also you took on the nickname So Pravaz, and I'm butchering how it's pronounced, So Fly. So I feel like you've always had that in your DNA. So by the time you got to the decision to be a comic to your parent, they were probably like, well, Theran's going to do what Theran's going to do, and he'll he'll figure it out. I've is, always is been fair? very shetun, shetun which means devilish, but is the term for mischievous in a very fun way. I've always been very fun and mischievous, which is probably the the comedian in me that I didn't know was there to blossom. And also, so parvaz, parvaz means fly, like literally to fly in Mm -hmm. Farsi. And so I took on so parvaz because I'm so fly. Like I'm the flyest person I know, right? And the (laughs) hip hop, colloquial sense of being fly, which is just to be trendy, to be good looking, to be stylish, to be all those things that the modern minority should be. Well, it's kind of comment I read somewhere, but then I I saw you push back on it a little bit is you have a lot of self-love and it's not that there's a lack of humility. It's that you think everyone should have that. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? A hundred percent. I am a big believer of self-love. People oftentimes, even when you brought up the fact that I have my name on my hat and I wear it often on my clothes and actually the shorts that I'm wearing has pictures of my face all over it, which <laughs> your viewers can't see, but trust me, they're fantastic. Very Andy Warhol. As is my face. Yeah. And behind me is the Andy Warhol yeah. dedication to myself and all these things. People will often confuse that with arrogance. And the truth is, it's not. I just simply love me. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I love me? While other people get posters of Michael Jordan, I want to be my own Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. When people ask me and make the comment, well, you wear your own name on your own clothes. That's so stupid. And I look at them and I say, you're wearing Ralph Lauren. 
You do realize right. that's somebody's name. You're literally wearing right. someone's full name. Tommy Hilfiger is his nickname. His name is Thomas. Thomas Hilfiger. <laughs> you're wearing his nickname on your clothes. The only thing you're missing is his social security number. Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Prada, all of these things are simply just somebody's name. So why wouldn't I wear my name? You're wearing a team. You're wearing a jersey of another person. I'm mm -hmm. wearing my own jersey. I wear my own team. I'm my own favorite team, my own favorite brand. If I don't support me, then why would you ever do so? And that's mm. that mentality of we cannot or should not allow ourselves to love ourselves. It's almost a consumer mentality where it's like you're not whole until you buy more. And mm. I just I feel whole. And that's what allows me to even love even more is because I love me so much. And I'm so secure in that love that now when I choose you or I love you, it's very, very valid. I have nothing that I need from you. I'm whole mm -hmm. and you're whole. And now we're two holes who've come to, together to make a bigger whole. That's how drops of water work, right? So even when I say mm -hmm. I'm toxic, I'm toxic like water. And water really, we think of water as this amazing, refreshing use of showering and beverage or whatever we use mm -hmm. it for. But the truth is, water just lets what you've, you're made of. If you're made of metal, mm -hmm. you're fine. If you're made of iron, you'll rust. It's up to mm -hmm. you. And so... Like drops of water, one drop of water is whole water, another drop, and next thing there's an entire ocean, a wave, a flood of success, of self-love. The way I love myself, they write books about this. <laughs> I love me. You should love you too. Me loving me and doesn't mean that I don't like it's not, you. It's, it's not zero sum. It's not zero sum. Exactly. It's not mutually exclusive. I love me and I also can love you. And trust me, loving me as much as I do means I can love you even more because that's the capacity and the power of love is it does not diminish. So the thing I've come to admire about your comedy and our mutual friend Maz, you're on his show, but the then I started really digging into your comedy. The first thing I dug was, wow, this guy's really effing smart. And he has a soapbox and a point of view and an angle, two things. And that's probably all the degrees speaking, right? And your innate curiosity, that led you to the degrees, to be very clear, right? But I think the comic I've always come to like is the smart comic. I don't care if it's dirty or clean or local or international, but it's the smart comic. A lot of people say good comics make you laugh. Great comics make you think. Who are the comics that you've worked with, or not even the ones that you've worked with, but the ones that you've modeled, not just your material, but your approach on, if that makes sense? Like, who are who are the other smart comics that, that you think are doing it well? My favorite comedian of all time is Dave Chappelle. Controversy yeah. or not, yeah. Dave yeah. Chappelle is the epitome of good comedians make you laugh, great comedians make you think, because mm -hmm. he's a legend and he makes you do both. Mm -hmm. Dave Chappelle is brilliant and pushes the envelope. And that is what comedians are supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Have a perspective and make you think in a way that expands your mind. That's what comedy is truly for. And mm -hmm. that's what we look for, especially in communities like in Iran, where you have people like Mehran Modiri, who's this amazing writer, producer, director, who creates these fantastic fabrics and weaves tapestries of social commentary in a double-edged way where it is consumed by the mainstream but and people understand that underlying tone but still has to pass the censors and the strict conservative nature of the islamic republic it's very difficult to do such a thing and when you think about comedians and think oh well they're just like clowns, they make us laugh, really, because comedians are much more like philosophers. The people who have made you think of politics, sex, religion, bigotry, the most in the last two decades or more have all been comedians. Whether it's politics, Jon Stewart, Trevor Noah, Wanda Sykes, Bill Maher. Awesome, Yusuf. Awesome, Yusuf. They're just comedians. Yeah. That's all. Jon Stewart doesn't have a PhD in political science, just a comedian. But it's years ago when I first moved to New York, there was an event at Radio City Music Hall, and it was a fireside chat between Bill Maher and Ann Coulter, right? 
And this is when I was still watching a lot of real time. And so we go to the show and the MC comes out first, welcome everyone, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, show of hands. God, what election would have been? Who voted for Obama? Who voted for McCain? And it was a 50-50 split in the audience, right? So, okay, we all know whose team everyone's going to be on for this intellectual bout. I put intellectual in quotes because of one of the people there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then you watched the way who got more of a reaction from the crowd, right? Even though they were all playing their hits and still playing to the conversation and sparring with each other, it was the comedian. Because there's, I feel like there's a training and a way to work with the room to interact with the crowd or to to play on something we've all been thinking about versus just shock jocking, which is what culture was doing versus what Bill Maher was doing was truly interacting with our thoughts and our observations and how we felt about it. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's, it's some of the most brilliant conversations you'll have is going to be with a brilliant comedian. And I believe that mm. very much so. So when I watch Maz Jabrani talk about family and relate to everybody, no matter where they are, what background they're from, and basically create this understanding and relatability between Middle Eastern and Bridget with the West. When he does that, that's a form of brilliance. It's truly a form of brilliance that- Well, it's community service. Most people don't comprehend. They're just laughing. But later on, it makes you think. It makes you think the people who go to the Mazdrabani show when they're quote unquote white leave just a little less racist and just a little more of a better person, regardless of where they were. So they could have been only 0.01% racist. Now they've removed, <laughs> like, whatever it is, now it's 0.0001. Whatever it is, you could still be the best. We've all have our own personal prejudices and biases, but you leave yeah. just a little better of a person. Because you've laughed. And that's the thing about laughing, right? When you're it's in a disarming. Of- it's disarming. Even 100%. whatever whatever barriers you have up. Because it's I do think people need to have their own curiosity, right? To be willing to open to the world. But some people, I hate to say it, aren't. They aren't open-minded, they aren't curious. But that's the disarming I mean, that's I think of storytelling and fiction, but comedy especially, it just gets back to the lizard brain. It it forces a reaction somehow. Honest honestly that totally is the truth is that comedy is the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. And with me, I'm the spoonful of medicine that helps all that sugar go down because sometimes (laughs) we sugar too much and I'm just the truth. But with comedy, even when tragedy strikes and you're in a room full of people and they're crying, even though you're in a room full of people crying, everybody's still crying alone. But with comedy, we laugh together. We cry alone. Exactly. In comedy, when you're in a room full of people laughing, you're in a room full of people laughing together. No matter what's going on out there in here, you're having a great time together. And it makes you a better person. And I mean that fullheartedly. Good comedy, by the way. Not all comedy. It's not like, (laughs) I'm not talking about like, because racists are really funny too. And they come up with the best comedy sometimes. And I'm not talking about (laughs) those comedy those that type of comedy racist comedy is not the same thing i'm not talking about that i'm not talking about (laughs) racist comedy i'm just talking about comedy as an art form in the well to be fair the the superpower whether or not used for evil or good it is a superpower and you can be lex Luthor with that power and use that humor to divide to achieve an ulterior motive to make the same way you said a Maz Jabrani show can make everyone just a little bit less racist when we walk out of the room a little more understanding I don't know enough names of racist comics, right? But like that person lighting up a room, shit, let's talk about like the last president. He could make people laugh about something and really unite them in a very bad thing. So I think it's a super, it, with great power comes great responsibility. A hundred percent. And you mentioned Spider-Man already once. Let's mention it as many times as possible because <laughs> clearly Peter Parker is the reason we all know that phrase. With great yeah. power comes great responsibility. Although I'd say two of the most, and this isn't me just being a comic book geek, but I think two of the most important characters in the last 20 years were Miles Morales and Kamala Khan. So it's it's this idea of these beliefs, these principles, this superhero morality is not just the Jewish kid from Queens. It's not just Clark Kent from Smallville. It can be, it can be a black kid from Brooklyn or 100%. a brown girl from Jersey City. A hundred percent. And that's what it has to do with. And that's why it's so important when this is something of a Miles Morales 
phrase, with great power comes great responsibility, because it's true. Never mind the ancient adage in reference to the sword of Democles. I'm talking about <laughs> the concept of having a brown Spider-Man or black presenting Spider-Man. It changes lives. When we had a Disney princess, I have a very good friend and writing partner, Menachem Silverstein, conservative Jewish person who, before the age of 25, already had two children, very Chabad, very Jewish, very conservative. His daughter watched a black Disney princess, and that is her favorite Disney princess. That's the thing. She watched Tiana and the Princess and the Frog, and she loves Tiana toys. Yeah, That's how important it is, how much we don't realize representation matters. And for people who don't understand it, just remember, the reason we have the Super Bowl or network television or YouTube or ESPN or any of those shows that you love so much is because commercials. Commercials work. Well, television is just an ongoing social commercial. It's a yeah. continuous social commercial that tells you what to like, what not to like, how to be, what to be. What other people like, how to fit in. Exactly. Yeah. It's a continuous social commercial. And one thing we know is that commercials work or we wouldn't have Instagram and Facebook and any of these <laughs> other free quote unquote things that we cannot live without, right? So when Disney has... A black princess, it makes a difference. When we have a possible black little mermaid, it will make a difference. And it's not just this, as we stated previously, it's not just for the black kid or the brown kid to see themselves. It's also for the white kid to recognize themselves. And that's why it's so important. I, I want to come back to to you a little bit and specifically Adan. Like I'm just I'm into just curious as like as someone of foreign-born parents, like, what have your experiences been going back to, in this case, the fatherland for you, right? Like, when was the first time you went back? And what was that reception to a little black boy coming off the plane? Coming off the plane as a black kid going to Iran? Yeah. Was, How old were you when you first went back? When I first went to Iran for the first time, I was like five or six. And, I, and okay. I'll tell you something that's actually very interesting. Racism, which is a different part of the bigotry umbrella than yeah. cultural prejudice, and yeah. which exists primarily in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. There's a cultural pre prejudice. A lot of times it has very little to do with your skin color mm -hmm. and a lot to do with your heritage, ethnicity, and background, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you'll see that different types of what we all, the all-inclusive Arabs, they mm -hmm. don't get along. The Khalijis don't get along as well mm -hmm. with, the, for example, the Lebanese who think that they're better in this way and the Khalijis think they're better in that way and the Khalijis mm -hmm. being, of course, the Gulf Arabs. Iranians think they're the best overall. But the truth is it wasn't really based on skin color. It has a lot to do with a lot of bigotry had to do with cultural background. So while Afghan and Iranian people look very similar, almost to the point you're, where you that laymen would probably not be able to tell the difference. And most people in some degree wouldn't be able to tell the difference, even if they were Iranian or Afghan. Mm. There is a cultural prejudice between the two cultures that does unfortunately exist, has nothing to do with skin color. Mm -hmm. So when mm -hmm. I first went back to Iran, the reason I bring this up is to present that racism was so new that Western globalization of racism hadn't <laughs> happened yet. They didn't even think- We, we hadn't exported that one yet. <laughs> They still didn't know that there was a thing. Me being black had nothing to do with anything. They were actually way more interested, intrigued, and, and fascinated by the idea than they were prejudiced. The prejudice came later. It came later as America exported racism on a higher degree. And then that's when it became a dangerous thing. That's when the racist terms were thrown out. We have a black population who are very much indigenous to the southern part of Iran. Mm -hmm. People who either come from an African heritage who live in Iran, who because of the slave trade mm -hmm. that were circulating through the Middle East were brought to Iran or are just naturally more darker toned in the south of Iran. So mm -hmm. these groups of people exist and they are very much Iranian. 
they're much more Iranian than I am because I'm actually half black American. So my family heritage is much different than theirs. The idea of skin being a differentiating factor is something that came much later. And I saw it happen almost as if it was an experiment before my eyes. I saw as time went on before Iranians simply were homogenous. So it was interesting. Then it became, they were prejudiced and that's Mm. why I became singular. And a lot of times there's a lot of pushback from the Iranian community. They don't like knowing the bad things about themselves. And it's Mm -hmm. something where I wish more people, and it comes with the concept of self-love, is you're also much more self-aware. At least Mm -hmm. if you're self-aware, if you do something, at least you know you're doing it. Well, Mm -hmm. Iranians oftentimes don't consider themselves racist or don't see the racist things that they do, but because I come from both cultures and a lot of other mixed people do as well, we do. We see these things. I know a lot of Black and Iranian people who are mixed who prefer to simply remain Black presenting and Black confronting because of that inherent racism that has started or begin to exist amongst the Iranian community. I've seen it. We talk about it. There are forums. There are discussions. Mm. So all I ask is for Iranians to simply pay attention, understand that this is happening, whether you like it or not, or whether you believe it or not. And that's the thing about the truth, is the truth, for all of its strengths and weaknesses, the truth needs no belief. And this is the truth. The truth is it's happening in front of our eyes. I think so much of it is too. It's like you, the truth, it does hurt and you have to accept it and you can't move on until you accept it. And I think so much of our culture, ours, Western, modern, whatever you developed, developing, whatever you want to call it, like there's a lot of denialism or like sweeping shit under the rug. I think that the, to me, this is my own soapbox. It's like the modern day conservative progressive spectrum is about like, are we willing to face up to everything? Yes or no? Exactly. Or do we just want to pretend shit isn't happening? There's a phrase actually in Farsi, which I bring up. It's a phrase which says, And it means uh, the next attack is October 14th, everybody. No. <laughs> it means someone who is asleep can be woken up, but someone who pretends to be asleep can never be woken. And that's where we find ourselves now in the modern day, is a lot of people pretending to be asleep. And as you shake them to wake them up, they will never wake up. Because at this point, we all know we have the most access to information than we ever have in the history of information and this planet. We have the most access. And yet people would prefer to look up confirmation bias information. They would prefer to just hear their own thoughts resonated Or most of all, they would prefer to ignore the facts and just base things solely on their ad hoc opinions. Yeah. yeah. And it's unfortunate because the truth is right in front of your face. Whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's Stop Asian Hate, whether it's climate change, whatever it is, the truth is right there. And at this point, we're just simply pretending to be asleep. Where does your faith come into some of these things? Faith? Oh, I have no yeah. faith. Oh, no, no. Mm. Listen, here's the thing. If I was if I was the alien in charge of the planet, I would have already blown us up a couple of times. Like, I didn't think <laughs> Thanos was wrong. I think Thanos didn't do enough. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I was going to say, it's. Uh, I used to have this faith in our Independence Day moment. Like, in Independence Day, we sure. all hate each other, but then the aliens come, and we're like, we all, at the end of that movie, the Israelis and the Palestinians are high-fiving over a fighter jet, because we got the aliens. And... I think the thing that shook my faith to its core is two years ago when the aliens landed in the form of a virus and we all just hated each other about it. <laughs> it's just like the aliens came. We did not have our Independence Day moment. We never have that Independence Day moment. It's a movie. The truth of the matter is most times people simply just look for the other to blame. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even in the alien Independence Day situation, we just found a new enemy and then the enemy of my enemy became my friend. Mm-hmm. I would just want us to be friends. I, the mm-hmm. world, all these divisions we have, these lines, these imaginary borders, we just made them up. The earth doesn't understand any of that. And amongst all the animals 
we're the only ones that go, I'm black, you're white, you're this, you're that. Mm-hmm. Lions and tigers and bears do not know the difference between a black person and a white person and a brown person. They don't. <laughs> we're, we're all just the animal that hunts food. them. We're all just food. Us. We're all just food. Well, they just hate us. We're not even food. It's not like <laughs> no animal actually eats us. We are the oh. alpha predator, right? We yeah. are, and, and no animal actually eats us. They just hate us because we've ruined their environment, right? We, mm-hmm. No one does that. It's that whole idea that we have to, we just, I hate quoting Rodney King, but this was the most profound statement ever made in the history of Earth. Why yeah. can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just get along? Why can't we just figure these things out? A lot of these ideas that we have come from a lot of fear. They don't come from a place of understanding. Mm-hmm. As the apex predator on Earth, it comes from fear of one another. So what I'm getting at isn't I'm not some hippy-dippy <laughs> ideologist who's just like, we should all get along and everything will be fine. I'm saying that there are real true problems. And when it comes to faith, you know what gives me faith? I'll tell you, it's the little things. The little things give me faith. When I see human beings do the kindest most amazing things on a small micro scale, whether I see someone just holding the door for a couple people as they're walking in or Mm. the person who lets you over in their lane, we can all simply be kinder. When better, you do better. At this point, we all know better, right? So what gives me faith is the next generation, the next generation that thinks less of if you're black or white, but more if you're a Marvel or DC fan, that's the faith that I have is watching the next generation as they're not mixing just races, but mixing cultures without appropriating. They're doing so in the most organic of ways. And that gives me faith. It's not appropriating culture in this manner, right? It's not Kim Kardashian didn't invent the cornrow. That's not what Mm -hmm. it is. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about the kid that right now is just in third grade and Steven is best friends with Jamal, who's best friends with Ramesh, and they're just a little clique of kids that just like playing Halo. And that's yeah. all they do. <laughs> and that's all, that's all, and it's nothing, it's like, yeah, it's like, what? And they don't even know enough to hate you because you're black or because you're gay or because you're Hindu. They don't even know enough to do it. Because you suck at Halo and you're ruining yeah, the game for you everyone. you suck at Halo, that's their, that's their basis. Like, you suck <laughs> at Halo, Christian. That's all they care about. And when they yell at Christian, it's because it's his name and not his faith. You understand? Yeah. That, to me, is the future. I have more faith now. Thank you. <laughs> it's hopeful. It's actually hopeful. When you watch this next generation you actually start realizing that all those solutions they came up with, all the concepts, it's actually in good faith. It's actually, it's the most democratic way we've ever presented the world before. If you like something, you can watch it on YouTube yourself. And even though it's a different form of the man, it's not the same man who had controlled it before. It wasn't just NBC, Fox, ABC and CBS. This is, I want to watch whatever I want to watch. I like listening to whatever I want to listen. The playlists of people are so alternative and funk and hip hop and rock all in the same playlist as if it's nothing. The boxes are getting broken down slowly. Sure, slowly, but it's happening. And slow motion is better than no motion. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we started talking about boxes because I think about like the evil world of advertising I grew up in. It's like it used to be about demographic targeting and then it became behavioral targeting. But then it's like you can't even put people into people who like The Bachelor or who like The Expanse but don't like Game of Thrones, right? It's we all we're all mixed up in the things that we like, the places we come from. And you can't just let those things define you, though. It's the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And I think if we can acknowledge that and find like, look, you and I don't have to agree on marvel versus dc but oh well, we both like comics or i was talking to someone another an egyptian buddy safe who i'm talking about a music project with later in this afternoon and it's actually not about if my taste is your taste it's that you have taste <laughs> like you have a point of view but your strong beliefs weakly held you're willing to hear someone else out about their point of view and and be curious about why they like what they like or why they think what they like not only are we in that phase but There's also people like yourself 
who now, before people who were full of hate always had microphones somehow and megaphones Mm. and the good people always stayed quiet at home because they were just good people. Right. So good people would just talk amongst themselves and the bad people would go out there and, and steal the mic, steal the mic, yeah. convert people. It was this loud minority. That's always making a problem for most people in general. Well, now people like you, who obviously has this love and passion for making the world a better place, have microphones too, in forms of podcasts, in forms of presenting yourself and these opinions and these ideas, and hopefully being able to enlighten others. That's the beauty of a candle and a flame. When you light Mm. one candle, now you can use this candle to light a second candle. Now Mm -hmm. you have two candles and the flame from the first candle has not been extinguished. Mm -hmm. Now you can light two more candles and two becomes four and four becomes eight, eight becomes 16, 16 becomes 32, 32 becomes 64. And the next thing you have an entire world enlightened by the flame of that original candle. So keep being that candle, man. I mean, I was going to go with the triple analogy, but yeah, candles, candles, it gets to a better metaphor. I mean, Star Trek (laughs) It just depends on if you like the original series or next generation, really. Once I mean, again, there, there, there's only one right answer. It's next generation. Let's yeah, be clear. of course. Next generation. <laughs> All those know, other guys are idiots. So. Followed by Deep Space Nine. Let's be very honest. You know, okay. Here's the thing about Deep Space Nine. I watched it growing up and it wasn't until this adulthood thing that we're living in now that I realized, oh, that's a deeper show and there's allegories to Israel, Palestine. <laughs> like, well, like, Deep Space Nine, not only that, but also... Deep Space Nine, and I don't know how we got on this tangent, but did something that TV didn't do at the time, which was because we didn't have on-demand television content that we have now. And now when you create Mm -hmm. television shows, you can create an arc-reaching storyline. Before, the most the storyline would ever go would maybe be two or three episodes. because But you had season-long arcs. yeah. Exactly. People couldn't watch every single show, so you had to capture the audience every single time. Deep Space Nine started doing that individual. If you watch Next Generation, every episode Planet of the Week. It's Planet of the Week. Yeah, is yeah. basically its own episode. Maybe there might be a two or three at the most. Yeah. Deep Space Nine decided to go in a different direction, something that was very risque at the time, and started doing season-long arcs, which basically you had to watch the entire season to understand where you were for the most part. And that's why, as an adult, you realize the relevance and its complexities and appreciate it a lot more and also because now we have on-demand television so it just makes a lot more sense well i'll bring it back to this podcast and some of the things we we're talking about earlier the other thing and it's, it's only a hot take i've listened and really understood in adulthood and i haven't gone back and done my rewatch of ds9 but it's you had a positive black role model you had a black father who was not just in charge but he didn't play up to the stereotypes in avery brooks i just he was a black father he was a black single black father a black single father just it was it was very progressive and ahead of its time and and that had a lot to do with it and i also find that correlation between a lot of my personal comedy and i'll tell you why because i am talking about things when i started comedy 10 years ago now i was talking about things that at the time people didn't get and now it's just catching on to people people are now caught up to the things that i was talking about 10 years ago because of the recent events in history and in society and now they're catching on and understanding and finding it funny and intriguing and fascinating and all these things but i've been talking because this is my existence this is my life this is who i am and just to go off on a quick tangent in regards to star trek just to let you, I don't know if yes. you know this, but do you know that Star Trek Voyager is the actual reason President Obama became president of the United States? Did you this or no? I did not. I knew oh. he had a big crush on Nicole Nichols. No. I didn't. So tell me the Voyager no. story. No, no, no. This is the thing. If you watch Star Trek Voyager, you would be familiar with an amazing character who became a focal point of the show after a second season, which is Seven of Nine. Seven of yep. Nine was yep. played by a young lady who was Jerry extremely Ryan. attractive named Jerry Ryan. Jerry Ryan wore this latex suit. She was the board <laughs> component with the human soul that they were trying to find. It was a very compelling storyline. But what goes on is Jerry Ryan at the time was married to a young, good-looking man by the name of Jack Ryan, who was the senator 
of the state of Illinois. I mean, this was a Republican who clearly had every thing you needed to become the future president. And that's for sure. He had the look, he had the swagger. I mean, he had all of it. He had all of it. He was the man, right? This is the man. So Jerry Ryan and Jack Ryan are together. And then they ha have this out of the blue, seemingly out of the blue divorce. No one really talks about it. Hmm. As they bring up the Senate race in 2004, the front wow. runner by far is Jack Ryan. His competitors start digging into their marriage and realize that Jerry Ryan's divorce from Jack Ryan wasn't because they became distant or fell apart. It was Jack Ryan's propensity for these sex parties that he kept trying to get Jerry Ryan to be a part of and all this BDSM behavior that she didn't want to do. And they exposed him. And because of that, he dropped out of the Senate race. And this allowed for a very unknown, little known Barack Obama, who had very little experience in Senate as just a local community organizer to become the front runner because the Republicans didn't really have time to place another candidate. They had their winning horse. They had their guy. And so Barack Obama becomes senator of the state of Illinois and Barack Obama becomes president. And because of his Senate run and his success in Senate, and just he becomes the young, charismatic, democratic leader that everyone had been hoping for at that time. Once again, and racism ended, podcast over. And, and that's how that's how a lot of people felt. But you had a black president. And I'm like, yeah. Barack, Barack Obama is proof that there is racism because yeah. you see him as the first black president when he's just as much white as he is black. He's yeah. genetically as much white as he is black. <laughs> and you don't understand that because of how he presents. Presents himself. And that's yeah. the problem in America is things are black and white when the truth is life is very much gray. I like how you let us go into our second tangent about Star Trek and then we actually brought it back to the episode. You really, you, you clearly have podcast chops, my friend. Is that what it is? Or I just think I'm always brilliant. Like, that's, that's the comedian in me. I will always bookend and bring it back. It's basically, you get these ideas, you go through these punchlines, and then you get this amazing callback. And you go, yeah. boom, drops mic, walks away. If you could talk to young Tehran, that five-year-old kid about to get on a plane to go to Iran, what would you tell him? You know, it's interesting. I really truly enjoy my life and there's nothing i would do for the most part any other way i wouldn't tell myself anything no i'm just I trying learned, to cheat cheat code like seriously know, like invest in this watch I this would, tv show my yeah my my i would cheat code it maybe i would cheat code it like google amazon Bitcoin, <laughs> dogecoin early right trust me you want a couple more bored apes like i would have done those things for sure but I don't but know how I would have ended up. And you'd be like some rich asshole. So maybe you don't want to do exactly. that. Exactly. I don't know how it would have ended up. And I actually, I like the person I've become. I like mm. the adjustment that I have. And I learned it at a very early age. One of these stories is, I, and I talk about this in personal settings such as this, is the, the time, what made me or led me to self-love was specifically a moment of self-doubt. When I was four or five, I was getting picked up from kindergarten, and usually my mother picked me up, but on this particular day, my father was coming to pick me up, and my father is very Iranian. He looks very Iranian, lighter-skinned, fair-skinned yeah, Iranian, fair-skinned Iranian. There are many tan Iranians, but he's got that fair skin and a very thick accent, and he had a very thick mustache at the time, just very foreign-looking, and the teachers at the school could not comprehend that this person who was coming in my direction is my father. That's my father. They were so used to seeing my black mother, who I, I clearly match a black mother, but this foreign father, that was very interesting for them. And he's coming in my direction. And, you know, he's, he's like, that's my son, that's my son. And they're not understanding and they're blocking his way. And he literally simply does the most Persian things of all time. Uh, he pushed them out the way and he just picked me up. Now, right before he picked me up, I remember feeling this sense of, shame or guilt or something negative, something I had never felt before in my life, something where mm. I felt embarrassed almost, embarrassed. 
But the way he picked me up and simply held me in his arms and hugged me. And at that moment, my father didn't see color at all. All he saw was, this is my son. <laughs> he didn't care about racism. He didn't care about civil rights. He didn't march or protest. He wasn't million man marching. He wasn't becoming Farrakhan. He wasn't making a statement or standing on a principle. This Literally, it was just the love of a father for a son. And that love transferred to me in such a way where I completely just felt this blanket of security that never went away ever again. It wow. never went away ever again. Like my father was just simply proud I was his son no matter what. I mean, later, of course, he became disappointed I didn't become a doctor. He's still a first <laughs> man. But that and that moment, that blanket of secure security, comfortability, and adjustment with myself, it warmed me up in such a way that I never, ever took it off. And that's why I've never, ever, and I'm not going to say I don't let the things bother me because they, of course, they fundamentally bother me, but they mm -hmm. don't hinder me. And I yeah. would never, ever let them hinder me ever again. I would never feel the shame, guilt, embarrassment ever. And it, I never did. And that's one of the things. So that was the moment. It was nothing I could have said. There's nothing mm -hmm. I could have ever done. There's nothing I could have created that would have taken the place of that moment of five minutes that changed my life irrevocably forever. That's beautiful. And, and I had imagined the hat just magically appeared on your head after that. The hat actually know. became a part. If you watch me as a, if you watch me as a kid, you'll <laughs> yeah. see. And I always, because people are like, oh, I wear my own face on my shirt or whatever yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, they'll yeah, be yeah. like, oh, I used to do that as a kid, like a six-year-old, eight-year-old. I, I used to do that all the time. The hat came about in high school. The hat with the name Teron on it came about mm -hmm. in high school because I used to wear different hats. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. by different hats, I mean different team hats, whatever matched mm -hmm. my outfit. Yeah. And then there was this little fight that broke out in my high school in regards to someone liking one team over the other. And I never cared about any of the teams, even though I played sports, I never really cared about sports and still really don't. I love ESPN because of its analysis of sports, but I, you will, you will very ever, if ever rarely watch me catching an entire game or like, Oh, I have to go to this game. Oh man, the Lakers. Oh, like I don't, I really don't care. Right. Yeah, I just yeah. used to wear hats for my own, style purposes and people would be like oh you like the yankees the, the yankees suck the red sox and i'm like yeah i think they all suck i don't care like it doesn't <laughs> bother me at all so my school made a rule that said basically you can't wear team hats so people would start wearing blank hats i went and got my name this is when there was one of those kiosks where you could yeah, get your yeah, name yeah, and, a hat. and i got my name and a hat and then i go to school and the and one of our administrators who always had it out for me by the way i don't know why always had it out for me was like you can't do that that's a team and i was like no it's my name it's like yeah but it's a logo i was like well it just says no team branding and it says no this is my name and i fought it and i won and i was there for ever since in high school that first year of high school i've been wearing hats with my name on them ever since Tehran, i think we've covered a lot of territory i think you more than many past guests i think you've earned a speed round you think you're ready? Always ready for a speed round. This is what I live for. Let's make this happen. Speed round me to death. First of all, wrong answer. No one's ever ready for speed round. <laughs> What's uh, I, I don't. Even, I feel weird even asking this question. What's one thing about you that no one expects? One thing about me that no one expects? Yeah. That they'll actually like me if they get to know me. It turns out that the only people, the only people that actually hate me, are people who actually do not know me at all. <laughs> No one ever expects to actually like me. I get that. I get that comment so much. It's actually offensive. And you're like, man, you're actually really cool. Oh man, you're actually. It's like, why do you say? Can you take away the word actually? You're actually really funny. You're actually really smart. I'm like, you need to stop using actually. Okay, actually is a pretty offensive word. I got into a it lot of trouble me. as a kid saying it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. What's a book or a movie that has characters that you relate to? A book or movie that has characters that I relate to would have to be, and I can go through the list, Fight Club, Dark Knight, Malcolm X, the movie by Spike film, Lee. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The film, right? 
Those, What's your favorite? Please. Those have to be the movies that I relate to the most, I feel like. I feel like. And also, I, I hate saying this, but How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, okay? I'm a sucker for a rom-com. Don't judge me. Okay? I love rom-com. You actually have good taste in movies. Oh, why, thank you. <laughs> What's your favorite mom dish? My favorite mom dish has to be a tie between gourmet sabzi, which is a Persian food that I love, and everyone should love it. It's actually absolutely delicious. If what you is don't it? like it, you're an evil person. I'm not a foodie, so forgive me if I butcher this, but gourmet sabzi is basically like most Persian dishes. There's It's a topping that goes over the rice, and the rice okay. is a mix of just basmati rice of some mm. type with the saffron in it it's mm -hmm. a topping that's basically made out of uh, greens like a stew and some mm. meat and some red beans and it's absolutely delicious that's amazing yeah what's your least favorite food my least favorite food is basically almost every other food i'm not a food person <laughs> so basically <laughs> if i could if i could eat a cube and be fed in full I would do that, right? That's like that's like my thing. I love candy, by the way. I'm a candy head. But my least favorite food would have to be another Persian food called Fesanjun, which is this. Those are fighting words. We've had Iranian guests like lay down the law saying that's their favorite. Wow. I know. I, I just not a fan, not a fan. And here's the thing, and that's fine that I don't like it. You don't have to like what I like <laughs> and vice versa, right? Everything, you don't have to like things. I don't say Fesanjun is horrible. I'm just saying I don't like it. I think it's great for other people. As I like to say, it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to be wrong. And the thing is, I'm not right all the time. I'm yeah, not right all the time. No one is. No one is. But 99% of the time, I'm right. And that 1% of the time, I'm still more right than everybody else. You know? <laughs> so let it be. Who's someone out there that you would want to talk to on a podcast? I would love to, and I I must only choose one person. I'll give you two because you're a nice guy. If I if I was able to speak to two people on a podcast, I would love to speak to Jesus, and I would love to speak to Nostradamus. Okay, <laughs> I I got the first one, and I've seen enough TV specials about the second one. Explain why Nostradamus makes the second. Nostradamus, and, and here's the thing, and it's a very tough one because honestly. I would have loved to have picked a W.E.B. Dubois. I would have loved to have picked a. I would have loved to have picked these people. Realistically, Erica Badu. I would love to talk to Erica Badu. I right. would love to go on a date with Rihanna. All those things are true. Sure, got it. But Nostradamus, Nostradamus, right? Wrote this prediction rhyme poetry book, and I feel like no one actually interviewed this guy about it. No, we have no... Oh, if it wasn't for his book, we just... And it's stuff that they still use today. People still bring up these... It comes out every year about this every guy. Every year, there's a new TV special about this guy who wrote one book that just... It just floored everyone's mind. It floored everyone's mind, and my thing is, I need to talk. I have questions. You know? I have questions. I would love that. I think that would be an interesting, interesting podcast. So basically, Jesus and Nostradamus because they had a book. Got it. I would, I would love to talk to both of them about their books. <laughs> Maybe get a signature. Theron, this has been so much fun. Last question. What does being a modern minority mean to you? To me, being a modern minority means being aware. It means being strong, but not in the sense of dismissing your inner vulnerability. Mm. And it also means being proactive, being proactive, being the most educated person you can possibly be, even if it's being autodidactic. Mm. It's about being informed. It's about being experienced. It's all these things into one. And I think that as we progress, especially looking on to that next generation who truly gives me hope we should all aspire to be modern minorities that's awesome well Tehran, i haven't known you long but i feel like i've come to know you listening to your work and hearing you talk about things and i think i think you're making us all better modern minorities so just thanks so much for the work you're doing and thanks for spending some time with us today I appreciate you very much. Thank you for having me on the show and giving me this platform and opportunity to have a conversation with you.
And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, hi mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Raman Segal. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.